Wake up! Wake up! Mike Mulligan, David Haw. We have breaking news here. We got breaking news here on the score. Uh oh. The Bears are working toward a deal to hire Shane Waldron as their new offensive coordinator. Waldron, 44, spent the past three seasons as Seattle's offensive coordinator. Now he's expected to land in Chicago, which owns the number one pick with a big question looming at quarterback. The offensive coordinator and really any good coach knows how to adjust and adapt to the play caller or the signal or the quarterback. That's a good one. That's a good one. It, you know, when they interviewed him, I think we said, oh, you could hire him. I, and then we talked about who are you going with, who's your favorite. I think we all agreed with him. If you don't have the ability to adapt and adjust to the talent that you have at that position, it makes it really hard. So that's going to be a part of our, our process. Start your mornings with Mully and Haw, 5.30 till 10 a.m. on 6.70 The Score. You guys are the best dual line on the radio. Let's go. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670, the score. Uh, pick up the pace. You, you got to kind of get in the car soon. Don't be don't be well, lollygagging this morning. Good morning, Mully. Yes, it is a icy Tuesday. I, I don't know if I want to pick up the pace unless you're at home and you're trying to get to the car. Well, that's what I'm saying. But once you're in the car, don't pick up the pace. Well, you're not going to be able to pick up the pace. Yeah. It's one of these commutes. It's not like the most horrible commute ever, but it's a little bit wet. It's wet. It's a little bit slick. Very. There's some there's some ice, uh, and you just got to slow down on your way in. So if, if you've got slow down. a commute, you can just – Kick back, take it easy. Add some time. We'll have a conversation. Have some coffee. Yeah, but I don't know that I'm, I don't know that I'm lollygagging this morning. I'm getting no, out of the house and getting in the car and getting going. Leave early. Give yourself plenty of time. That's it, all. It, it is. is a Connor Bedard kind of day. Everybody skates. Took me probably an extra fifteen minutes. Yeah, to I to think get that's here. conservative. Uh, yeah. you want to give yourself plenty of time and don't be in a hurry don't be in a no. position where you have to rush that's it because when you're changing lanes it is at your own risk and you want to make sure that you're aware of everybody else changing lanes it's moving slow and yeah. um and people are careful and they should be so you got to kind of take your time don't don't run up on people just give them a little leeway and, and you'll be all right it's tuesday what's what's your big hurry it's january 23rd you expect this in right winter in chicago things are going to be a little bit treacherous at times yeah it could be worse oh it could be a lot worse it could be snowing yeah i think it's the, like the, a light rain it's it's weird because it, it's kind of like 33 hours. yes it's just so above kinda, freezing yeah but i mean i I got down the back steps and I'm like, oh, this is pretty good. And I, oh, honest yeah. to God, took 30 steps to get to the garage. Did which you fall? Takes about five. I Did came, you lose it? I can't. You know me. I've got. I've got a. <laughs> You're uh, nimble. You're deft. My yeah. my uh, my like forefinger toe. My second toe in twinkle toes is smaller yeah. than my big toe. Exactly, which is a sign of an Olympian in terms of balance. I'm not making it up. Look it up. Uh, I got that you're an Olympian? I've got, no, you're, I've got really good balance. It takes a lot for me to go arse over tea kettle. It takes about a pint. Wait a minute. No, it, I don't usually fall down is what I'm saying. But be careful because it is. Not bragging. It is slick and you don't see the spots if you are you know, trying, to, trying to navigate. And you're like, boom, didn't see that one coming. And I, running yesterday was treacherous. A little bit. If it's, 
yesterday was worse than if you have snow coming down or you have to navigate through snow. The ice, the patches that you can't see, much harder to yeah. avoid. Yeah, you got to be careful. Yeah. That's all. And anyway, try not to rush. Don't be in a hurry. Don't be in a get hurry, but work. get going. <laughs> don't be Just in a hurry. And listen to the radio. There you go. Yeah. What did you say, uh, Dustin? We'll sit. Uh, what'd you, how'd you put it? We're going to be in the seat next year, son. We'll be in the seat next year. We'll be your companion. And we'll tell you how the Bulls blew a 23-point lead. Will we? Must we? We must. Oh. Because people were sleeping when they went to bed. They probably thought, if you went to bed after the first quarter, you said, wow. Yeah. The Bulls have I'm not played. sleep well. They haven't played that well all year. And you'd be right. Kevin Durant. Yeah, then they blew Garbage. 23-point lead. Kevin Durant, 1.6 seconds left. Hits a double clutch the jumper. Whole, the whole world has gone mad in the NBA. Last night was a crazy night in the NBA. And Durant had a great game. Durant only had 43. Yeah. Only. And and DeMar DeRozan jacked one up. It just didn't go in. It would yeah. have won the game, but it didn't go in. That was reminiscent of some shots he hit last year, but he did not hit last night. So the Suns are winners over the Bulls yeah. and spoil a really good game all around from Kobe White, who continues to just be outstanding. They led by Mike Jordan. 23.1. Oh, Okay, yeah. Yeah, they blew the – that was the sixth team this year that blew a 23-point lead in the NBA. And with that Suns trio, nothing's safe. No. And when they're playing together, they're very good. They might be among the best teams in the West. I threw you with the Mike Trump You did. Yeah. I didn't know. You're like, what's wrong with this guy? Uh, <laughs> I didn't quite but, know. But who scored? I mean, uh, Joel Embiid, who's already – like, I think he's already been named a two-time MVP. Embiid at 70. He had 70. Yes. That's a lot of points. Carl Anthony Towns had 62. And he lost. And it came on the anniversary of Kobe Bryant's 81-point outburst for the Lakers these are all, all those years ago. These are all insane numbers that don't seem real. I mean, 70 points is still a lot well, of points in a basketball game. The, the player most capable, I think, of exploding for a 60-point night for the Bulls is Zach Levine, and he's not in action. He's getting ahead of the game. He's in L.A., going to meet with doctors. When I saw the headline in the Sun-Times, Lonzo Ball and Zach Levine to meet with doctors in L.A., I'm like, oh, gosh. Now he's sharing a headline with the point guard who won't be named. That's not good. I, I, I mean, listen. It's just frustrating to talk about um, the team that could have been versus the team you have versus very frustrating. You know, the whole Zach very Levine frustrating. What, what's today's date again? The January twenty third. The twenty third. The, the trade deadline. <laughs> the is Jordan the, of January days. It is. You're right. You're right. It's January Jordan. Um, but the the trade deadline is what now? Two weeks away. A couple weeks. Two weeks away. Yeah, a couple weeks away. And I don't know if the Bulls are going to do anything. I don't know if they I don't can. Know if they can. That's it. That's it. That's your guy. That's your. That's your Zach guy. Zach, don't pin Max him on Levine me. Max Levine is the guy that you're talking about. Yeah, they're gonna be they're gonna be hard pressed to make a deal that's significant. I think they're gonna probably yeah. play out the string and try to flirt with respectability once again. And didn't KC tell us that there's they're not interested in a salary dump? Well, they're not, but that would be the only way that they would be able to unload him. It, it appears, yes, because the market is not developing and hasn't and i do think now it's gonna be even more difficult because of the injury you got a guy that's been yep. you know 
Yeah. Injury prone lately. Bad ankle. Yeah, and that's a tough thing to overcome. So the Bulls lose to the Suns in Phoenix, and they play the Lakers uh, later this week, Thursday, I think it is. That game last night was frustrating because yes. – because they, they played well they, up they, to the point where they stunk. They played well. They played so well in the first quarter. It was probably their best stretch of basketball all season long. The sharing the basketball, and then in the same game where they played so well in the first quarter, they go 13 minutes without an assist. So what happens to a team hmm. that's capable of having those two extremes? Well, it's it's exactly what Billy Donovan talks about. That in order to have success, they have to play their way the whole game they can't they can't play that way early and then decide yeah we don't need to play that way again and and they just they they're inconsistent that's the bulls welcome they, to 2024 it's it's tough to watch sometimes meanwhile it's it, when the suns have it going the way they do that is that can be beautiful basketball devin booker kevin durant bradley beal that's quite a trio and Durant started four of 16, but he scored 43 points and he finished 16 to 32. That's a guy that never stops shooting because he knows it's eventually going to start hit. He's going to start hitting. What a, what a finish. He, he had no reason to hit that shot. It's a tough shot. He hit the shot. Game over. <laughs> it's deflating. just, it's just, it is deflating. Um, and then they had to watch that Grayson Allen Jerk. Oh. With that jerk face. Jerk. I know. A jerky yeah. jerk face. God, that guy. He's still, he's having a great year. For a cheap shot artist. He is having a great year for a cheap shot artist. Yeah. I think he's hitting 50% from the field, 40% from three, and 90% from the line. The only guy in the league to be doing that. That's disgusting. He's the only jerk in the league to be doing that. <laughs> the most punchable face in the NBA. By a mile. By a mile. Yeah. He's just. There's something about that guy that is too dookie. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know how to term it. Just I'll never forgive him for the the Caruso foul and all that. They he should have been suspended. Should still be suspended. <laughs> Retroactively. That's right. Yeah, that was tough. But yeah, the MB thing was was fascinating because it came against there were a lot of hype about that game because it came against Wembenyama and the Spurs. And you thought that, well, this is going to be a fun matchup because of you got the guy capable of being an MVP and then the future MVP, likely Rook of the Year. I don't know. What did Wembenyama do in that game? Couldn't have been much. Embiid had 70. 70. <laughs> oh. I love it. Then he held up the, the piece of paper after the game the way Wilt Chamberlain did when he scored 100 and it had 70 on it in front of his locker. That was funny. And Bede's got a great sense of humor. Oh yeah, yeah. He's a bright guy. He's funny. He's uh, he's a pleasant enough personality, and he's going to be the MVP again. I, I think probably the Joker probably should have been MVP last year, but they didn't want to give it to him three times running. Joker's going to make a run. Uh, he's he's know. as he's efficient, he's man. I mean, he's oh, he's good. They're both score has learned by the by they're the end of the good. year. Who knows? Yeah. Whoever's the hottest. We'll see. David, you mentioned Wimby. He had 33 points, seven rebounds, two assists, and he had uh, two blocks. And he was – and B doubled his output. Big deal, Wimby. <laughs> 33 points and he gets, he gets outscored by, by Embiid by, by 37 points. That's crazy. 
What a game that would have been to watch. I wish I would have watched that game instead of the Bulls. Yeah, I I mean, the Bulls exhausted me, and um, I just didn't stay up for the end. I got up and watched it when I awakened because, I, I mean, really? Am I going to watch that? Grayson Allen receiving the ball from official Mark Davis, tied to 113. Allen holding and looking, puts it in play to Nurkic. Nurkic, a bouncer to the Durant circle left. Jeff no, he's good. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. There, be, there will be no dancing tonight no, for Chuck. There was no dancing. There was no dancing. It's but you know what? At least he was warm. They'd have to worry about Icy Rose driving home from that game out in Phoenix. That's all I could think about watching that game. You know, it was like, wow. They're going to walk outside. And it's going to be warm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I got to tell you that that. It's fun. I'm very pleased the weather has broken, and I think that's going to continue. But we're under a, some kind of watch. What are we? Winter, winter weather advisory, I okay, believe. Okay, until nine tonight. Yeah. Is that it? Started it's gonna be at messy nine yesterday. It's gonna be messy. Yeah. yeah. You're not in Phoenix. No. No, you're not gonna walk out. For no. It's good. Hawks are on the uh, not the. They're not in Phoenix. They're not Southwest. They're in no. Vancouver. Right. What's the weather like in Vancouver this morning? Ah, uh, it's a good question. Hawks lose two nothing. Yeah, I saw. They that. can't score. Well, wake me up when Bedard <laughs> okay. is healthy. I'm just again. keeping you posted. I, I'm two glad, nothing. I'm glad you're keeping me posted. They played well, but they did, did not. Did you expect them to win? Uh no, but they have been playing better. They they play competitive hockey, but they just can't score. They can't put the biscuit in the basket. Yes. Without Bedard and Jason Dixon got shafted by not being on the All Star team. As Forty we, degrees and a hundred percent precipitation in Vancouver. In Vancouver, yeah. that's a pretty good chance of rain. Or Van, or Vancouver. <laughs> oh God! Is that for Lindsey Vaughn? Is that that's what right? That? Oh God! That is a dated <laughs> reference, my friend, and I love it. Bless you. Hawks lose, Bulls lose. Let's talk about the Bears. DePaul fired them. Oh, they did too. Let's keep it back. Did you DePaul. notice that issue? I did notice I, that. I got to tell you, I thought to myself, like, wow, that's the first time I've thought about DePaul in a long time. Well, I like they popped up. Oh, we fired the coach. I, I, uh, I agree that the only time they make big news is when they make big changes and they're not relevant in the Big East. That's a problem. I will listen sometimes just for Zach. I listen to the pro- pregame for Zach's interview yes. because I like to see how he handles things. The consummate pro. Oh, totally Difficult pro. job. Tony Stubblefield out. He did not recruit as well as he was uh, right. reputed. He was reputed to be a great recruiter. And unfortunately, uh, here in the midst of his third season, he's relieved of his duties. And therefore, you look up and notice DePaul. Because they got an opening. And they are the first power conference to fire a head coach this year. Yeah. They they got to it quickly. They did get to it relatively quickly. I Mm -hmm. I don't know whether to refer to them, you know, people like to say sleeping giant or just sleeping. Yeah. I mean, they, they once were something super special in this town. And it's more nostalgia than anything else at this point. It is because we've said that the last couple openings. Right. You know, Dave Lato's second tour had some moments, but still it hasn't been anything to speak of since they really joined the Big East. I'm not sure this is the right conference fit for them, even though there are 
arguments to be made for why the Big East wants the Chicago market and why DePaul wants to hang in there for the other sports and try to stay relevant. But I don't know. It's not been good for the basketball program. No, no, no. It's been bad. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to attack DePaul in any way because I enjoyed watching them when I was young, and and they had these great teams with all these Chicago-based players. But they are. They, how far? is their stadium from campus. It's got to be seven, eight miles away, right? I'm just Roughly, saying. Yeah, Winchester you, Arena to you, Lincoln Park is, yes. is, a, you would rather is a track. them be able to walk to the venue. I know DePaul is in a very congested, beautiful area, but um, it's just a pity. You know, when you have your team on campus, you're more likely to fill your stadium. As simple I've, as that. I don't disagree with that. I think that's been a crutch for a long time. I don't know how how dependable. It's a, no, it's a lovely stadium. Of a crutch. It is a very lovely stadium. They do use it to recruit, and there are big moments you can envision there. They've had a couple, not very many. But they got about an announced but, crowd of thirty five hundred. Uh, yeah, it's not good enough. It is probably half that. You can win without necessarily an on campus facility. Right. I, I think I it's agree easier to do that, but. What the problem is is that I don't think they've gotten a coach that has excited the masses well, consistently. Right. Oliver Purnell was slumbering through his tenure. I don't know how far back that set the program. You know, Dave Lado's second tour had some moments. But this – Did it really? Well, I mean, Tony Stubblefield, Tony Stubblefield was hired with the idea that he was going to recruit the way that he did at Oregon. Where but he, did, was, where, he was an assistant coach. Right. And he was going to be bringing in big-name players. It was like somewhat obscure, the hire. And Dwayne Peavy, the athletic director, was entrusted to bring in some credible names and comes from Kentucky. So he, he, the thought yeah. was he knows basketball, knows big-time programs, what they look like. Not yet. Well. Who's yeah. next? Looking forward, Brian Hamilton may have some names yeah. to speculate. There were some interesting names in the Sun-Times by Steve Greenberg today. I don't know if they're attainable. I don't know if there's – I don't know what you can expect from guys out there. Brian in the athletic did a good job of of kind of naming a lot of mid-major guys that might be ready to kind of graduate to a program like that. I think you're you're more I think you might be better off going that way than trying to get an assistant somewhere or trying to um bring in someone who's had their day and um like a Tom Crean well, I, I think Tom Crane's a good coach. I think he's a, he's a good coach be, and a great guy. I yeah. don't know if that would – I don't know at this stage of his career. I think what you're alluding to is the fact that somebody with head coaching experience who's had success at a mid-major coming here and taking that next yes. step. You know who you just described? I agree with you, by the way. You just described Drew Valentine. Yeah, I don't know that he's the answer for DePaul. And, I, I, and, I, and that's not because I'm trying to but keep But that's him the profile. Loyola. I know. I think there are other guys. No, I mean, he's still a young guy. Still, And they're doing well. They're doing well in the A-10 They're having year. a really surprisingly yes. good season. Yeah, they, they have um, they put together a pretty decent team. Third place conference. in the A-10, right? That's right. Now, I say surprisingly good. Is that accurate? They're 5-1. and one. The loss they had in the Big Ten was by two points. And they were they had four wins last year, so they already have five. But are you surprised? Um, I thought they did a pretty good job of of putting the team together, and I was eyeballing it 
in the offseason. I do follow. Yeah, I know you, know you do. That's so, what I'm asking. See, yeah, but I, I, I thought I think they're playing uh, as well as they can. I think they have a couple of young players that look really good to me. I, I don't, and I think they got a nice blend. I'm not suggesting that DePaul poach Loyola's coach, but I do think that that's the profile of the kind of coach that Paul would seek. Somebody who is younger, can recruit, right. and has had some success and experience, right. and is ready for maybe a next step. I don't know that that's Drew Valentine. I think he's fine at Loyola, which has a, which is, frankly, in Chicago, it now is a bigger deal than DePaul basketball. No doubt about it. Right. It's, a, it's, a, it's a better, more relevant program on the national scene and locally. But I think that's the kind of coach you want, somebody who can do for DePaul – what Drew Valentine is, has maintained at Loyola. I think like like Porter before he went to Oklahoma would fit exactly what we're yeah. talking about yeah. here. That's yeah, a good, that's a good comparison too. He was at Illinois State. He kind of had yep. some struggles. He went to Loyola and things fell into place as he built that program. You want somebody who has either done it before and had success, is ready for the next step, who has learned or has learned from his mistakes right. and has that kind of experience. Because right. DePaul will be a tough job. Right. That, that's not an easy job. But I also wonder, there's so much you talent in town. You know why it's a hard job? Because the Big East is a beast. And so, you know, can you get someone? I, I think Tom Crean's interesting because he's been at Marquette. He's mm-hmm. been at um, Indiana. And Georgia. Yeah. He's, he's been so in a lot of different experiences. In, yeah. So I, I think that'd be more interesting. But I, I think you – you should, you know, who's the guy at Northern Illinois? That guy's a really good coach who's had some success. Um, I think that's kind of, you know, would be great is um, who, who's the uh, Bradley coach of uh, Brian Wardle. That guy is a good coach, and he won the uh, Missouri Valley's local connections. He's he's won at a pretty good level. And he might be ready to graduate to a He could job. be. That's a good name. Uh, he may may not want to take on that challenge. It could be very comfortable at Bradley. Places like that, you can get comfortable in a hurry, especially if you have some success. Right. Uh, Rashawn Burno is the NIU talking oh, about yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, he could be a guy. He has some local connections as well. That's right. So there are options. I, I wonder what Dwayne Peavy is looking for. He'd be actually very good maybe to talk to about what he's looking for. Coming from Kentucky, you don't know. Maybe he has somebody in mind already from that pipeline. The talent in the city of Chicago, it's always the cliche, but you think that if you can keep it here, you can win here. um, You know, Kansas does a good job with the Chicago (laughs) guys. I'm just saying. Yeah. Look at programs that win that do a good job with Chicago guys. They're they're definitely there for you. Illinois has done okay. Yeah. You're right, though. Kansas has taken some – of the city's best talent, Duke. Duke can come into Chicago and get some good talent. We got a texter saying, what about Mike Bray? He's in the pros now. He's enjoying his Yeah, I, I don't think so. I don't I, I think at this stage of his career, you're looking for somebody yeah. maybe uh, who has something to prove rather mm-hmm. than somebody who yeah. is looking for the final act. I love Mike Bray. You know that. I mean, oh, yeah. I he's, an, he's an easy guy to – to Great dude. En- endorse if he took whatever job. He's an assistant coach for the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah. And last I checked and heard, he was very happy doing that. That's great. I'm glad for him. Um, you know, NFL stuff going on like crazy. It's oh, all yeah. over the place. It's just, it's hiring season, interview season. Brian There's Callahan. Of stuff. Brian Callahan, his dad uh, 
proud native of the South Side, so he gets he gets uh, he gets a head coaching job, uh, which is always good to see for a guy whose dad once was a head coach. Titans go the other way; they get rid of Mike Vrabel. They go for the offensive-minded yep. head coach, the coordinator mm-hmm. from the Bengals, and that is uh, probably. What you expected when they went away from Vrabel. They want some offensive-minded uh, ideas. How about, how about Dan Morgan getting the GM job? And he's, I think he's like executive president or something of that. Big role of for Carolina. Team. Right, for the Panthers. Big role for a guy needed in a big role. Chico, Ron Rivera, interviewing with Philly. How about That's fascinating that? to That's me. That's fascinating. Yeah. Why isn't he interviewing here? We'll talk about all this stuff as we move forward. We're going to pick apart all the stories of the day. It's Mully and Haw on the score. It's Pick 6 with Mully and Haw, where we debate the top six sports stories of the day and then open it up to you, the Chicago sports fan. Call us at 312-644-6767, or you can tweet your thoughts at Mully Haw. Pick six with Mully and Haw starts now. In retrospect, with Shane Waldron set to be the Bears' OC, what are your thoughts on the nine-man interview group that led the Bears back to the guy they interviewed first? Was it important to be thorough with their first interviews and not try to reduce the list and do a round of second interviews? Yeah, I I, um, I think in retrospect that they did the right thing by not going with the second round of interviews if they got enough out of the first one. Look, uh, the fact of the matter is that, um, that Shane Waldron was getting a lot of action. He was getting a lot of interviews um, lined up. And I, I believe if they hadn't gone ahead and hired him, he would be somewhere else. Uh, relatively soon there were two more invitations for interviews and supposedly he was on a short list in uh, in Pittsburgh as well and they were planning on interviewing him so when you do an interview and then you got three more arranged uh, you might want to get to it if he's the guy and I think they interviewed enough people to um, to know whether the it was the right guy or not and I think they they, he was the first guy they got to, and they wanted to make sure that they covered uh, as much ground as possible with as many people as they did, and they were just being thorough with it. But when it got to the point, do we do another round of interviews? No, let's just hire this guy. He won the job. So I think that's what happened here, and I think it's a good thing that you hired the guy you wanted and you didn't let him get hired out from under you. I think that's where you nailed it right there, Mully, is that you hired the guy you talked to first. You know, and, and a lot of the times that first guy has that opportunity to really cement an impression w- with the people he's talking to. And then obviously through the agents, you find out, well, he's got an interview over here and, you know, this sure. team's hot to trot for him. And, you know, if you wait a little too long, so there, that, that, that pressure gets added in. And just from the, the 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 short backgrounds that we got on all of these candidates, the one thing that I really liked about this particular candidate is he actually calls offensive plays in games. His first time calling plays in a game will not be here. 
because I believe that is a special set of skills. Now, we're going to find out if he's any good at it, but he's at least done it. He's at least flowing the plane, if you want to use that analogy. He hasn't just put gas in the plane, wiped the windows down, checked the seats. He actually flew the plane. A lot of these other guys are just sniffing around. This guy actually flew a plane, so let's see if he can keep it in the air. Yeah, you like experience, and it's been good experience, generally speaking, in Seattle. I know the softy mauler who watched him did not appreciate his efforts and contributions. We heard that on the afternoon show in an entertaining interview uh, from a, a guy who's analyzed him on the radio for the last couple of years. But there's not a more unpopular person in every NFL city than the offensive coordinator. So I, I take that sort of with a grain of salt. Shane Waldron's a pro who was sought after by teams that needed play callers. It's the most most uh, difficult job in the NFL in terms of just because it's the most temporary job in the NFL. Luke Getze, had he stayed, would have been the most tenured, I think, NFL offensive coordinator in the NFC. Um, so you look at you look at that reality, and the Saints were interested, the Steelers were interested, and the Raiders were interested, apparently. Those are the three teams that we know of. That's why I, I don't know, you know, the more you think about this whole agent connection with Trace Armstrong, it certainly does uh, strike you as somewhat peculiar, but I think it might also be somewhat coincidental. I don't know that uh, that that should make anybody that suspicious or guarded necessarily. Shane Waldron's qualified for the job. He was the first guy they went to. The right. process was nine guys deep. It could have been a tenth. They acted as quickly as they needed to because if they would have hired him today – he might have been he might have been hired somewhere else tomorrow. So I think this is a smart move in the right guy. You know, to answer your question, that's the voice of Billy Donovan. What do you make of the Bulls' performance last night without Max Levine? I'm oh, sorry, Zach Levine, who is out for a couple of weeks with a sprained ankle that will sideline him at least a couple of weeks and may scuttle any trade hopes ahead of the trade deadline. Well, they could have used him last night in the second half. Yeah. They could have used him in the second half. You can mock him all you want, Dustin Rhodes, but they could have used him in the second half when they went 13 minutes without having an assist. If you're going to play isolation basketball, you need the guy who's best at it. And he was no – he's injured. That stinks. It's not a good development. I think the Bulls need to learn how to play team basketball with Zach Levine in the mix – now, ideally, if you want to follow through, trading him makes the most sense, but there's no market for him. You're not going to eat his contract, so you better get used to the idea of having him around. You want him healthy. The Bulls blew a 23-point lead. This is a bad day to be discussing anything about the Bulls and what they're the best at. They're not good at anything this morning because they blew a 23-point lead. I think all of this has emerged. What's emerged from all of this, though, is that Kobe White, this is his season. And you look at how hot he got in stretches last night. It's like the Bulls are creating this environment which is conducive to him being the star. And even though Zach's got the contract, even though DeMar's got the history, and even though you need Vooch in the center of everything down low, Kobe White's emerged as the guy you want taking a lot of the shots, if not most of the shots. Last night was a good example of that because if he gets hot, then he's hitting from three, and that's what you need. So... Yeah, Zach Levine, I don't think they're going to be able to trade him. I think the injury gets in the way, and they're going to have to figure out a way to learn to love him. Well, I think it's the 
what is it, a $175 million question. Like, if, if Zach Levine had played in that game last night, would the Bulls have had a 23-point lead? Would they have blown a 23-point lead? Would they have lost by two points to the Suns? We don't know because he's not available. What we do know, David, and you pointed it out very well, is this is the coming out party, the coming out year for Kobe White. And I will raise my hand. I I wanted nothing to do with him. I thought he was useless. But I think the Bulls were not using him properly is probably what we found out. And some were behind the scenes. They figured out how to get him more involved. Now the question is, is, is this about it for him? Is there even more? Like, Can he grow even more as a player? We'll have to wait and see. But anytime you blow a 23-point lead in any sport, that's a bad night for your team. Yeah, um, I think it's a bad night when you blow a big lead. I think that's accurate. Um, Zach Levine, I don't think it's I don't think it's um, all of us that get that need to get used to the idea that he's coming back. I think he's got to wrap his mind around it. I think he's got to understand that there is not this market out there, and you change agents, and now you want to go to. L.A., they don't have anything to offer. The Bulls aren't giving you away. I just think this is as much about him figuring out what his future is as the Bulls figuring out what they're going to do with them. So I think both these sides need to kind of figure it out in a hurry, and he needs to understand where he's at and and how much money he's making and how good the situation is, even if he feels disrespected, even if he's mad at the coach about being benched a year ago, what air it may be, you've got to understand what your role is on the team you're on. And hopefully, as you said, David, they learn to figure out how to play more of a team game with him involved in it. And that comes down to him, too. So everybody has to wrap their mind around the fact that there's no market here and he's not going anywhere. And and we'll see. We'll see if they make any other types of moves um, with some of the players that are popular on the trade market. Different question on a different topic. That is the voice of our guy at 844. He's Mike Florio from the pro football talk and NBC sports. What do you make of DePaul firing their basketball coach, Tony Stubblefield yesterday after a three and 15 start to the season, Matt Brady will take over on an interim basis. Why now? Why make the first power conference change of the season? So early, is there the possibility of a turnaround? Does AD Dwayne Peavy need more time for vetting candidates? Is it simply too much losing? Yeah, I, honestly, I'm probably going to go with the last one. I think they've just been bad. I, I don't think there's a turnaround here. I don't think changing the coach is going to make them a better player or any kind of a danger in the Big East. I think they're a pretty bad team, and I think that they're going to remain so. And I don't know that um, – no offense to Matt Brady, but I don't know that it wouldn't take a magician to come in here and presto change come up with uh, – with different results. So I, I think he's in a tough spot of just their talent level, where they're at as a program. Um, you know why you do it? You do it because 
because, you know, you keep losing and you just let's try something different. I, I don't think it's I don't think it's born of any death. They've just been losing too much and it's hard to watch and they are irrelevant. I, I think the vetting process, I would hope before you fire a guy, you got some ideas in your head as to exactly how you're going to get through this season. And then you have guys that you're looking at. You got a short list, as anyone would, uh, in that role. And you're going to try to hire someone and make sure that you have your, um, you have all your uh, ducks in a row in terms of your NIL money and how much is there for everyone and and attracting uh, the attention of the alums, et cetera. So I think it's a it's a, a longer process now than we think, and you got to make sure you got a lot of things lined up. But I don't think there's any immediate successor coming. I think they're going to go interim, and I think that they're going to try to get it right the next hire because that starts lining up against the guy making the call, okay, Dwayne Peavy. You you get a hire, great, okay, now you fired him early because he was clearly not the guy, and you're pointing out to everyone, yeah, we had to fire the guy because he's not the guy. It, you, you only get so many of those. So uh, make sure you get the next one right. It kind of screams that he may have lost his locker room. He might have lost the players maybe they saw the body language or maybe it was even more verbal than just body language amongst his his players. And once you lose those guys, it's never going to rebound. Plus, who knows you know, what kind of money that, that may or may not be around the program and maybe those people that are investing into Paul basketball said, you know what, you better do something or, you know, th- this group of guys is walking away from the table. They, they're hosting, and you'll hear it here on the score on Wednesday night, they're hosting 14th rank, 15th rank, depending on the poll you look at, Marquette. Oh, boy. Okay, so that that that, that looks like another L uh, for the, the Blue Demons. But, boy, Amy Mully, you talked about it earlier, and if you've listened to this show for a long time, I mean, I grew up on DePaul basketball as a kid, and sure. it tricked my mom into going to the games at the Horizon back in the day because I knew all the my multiplication tables based on the jersey numbers of all my favorite players, and she's like, oh, okay, there's something there. Um, anyway, but uh, I, I want them to do well. I want them to be competitive. They're probably in the wrong conference to, to do that. Um, I, I wonder what they would look like in the A-10 as an example, right? Um but uh, they, they've got to get some fresh blood. And there's always a lot of change in college basketball, right? Guys changing jobs. So if you can get ahead of that, right, if you can get ahead of that, I mean, you're not going to get a guy to leave his program to come to DePaul right now. But you want to start the process and want to, to create a list. Who's interested in coming here? You've got to do that. You've got to organize those alums or those money people you referenced, Dustin, and say not just are they fed up, but – how are they going to make a difference in the NIL game? How are they going to modernize the DePaul basketball program in a way that attracts the best talent in the city and keeps it here and also becomes a recruiting force across the country? You've got to be able to do that with the right coach, and that's why Dwayne Peavy needs to start organizing now. And when he sees the upstart mid-major making all the news and the headlines in March Madness, he's ready to get on a plane, go to that uh, coach's um, uh, campus, and the minute he loses, you know, be able to make a pitch. You've got to be prepared, and DePaul better be, because they've got to escape this irrelevance that has plagued the program for the last 20 years. And there have been moments of 
or spasms of relevance, but they have been too infrequent and too uncommon. And you can't have that. You don't need to go back necessarily to your past. You know, there'll be names that will sound familiar. You need a fresh start with somebody who has experience doing this job and doing it at a high level. So get your get your uh, program reorganized, re-energized, uh, figure out the way that you play the NIL game, uh, get ready to escort your players to the transfer portal, show them where it is, and start over, all over again, because that's the way you have to do it. If you're DePaul, you might be in the wrong conference, but you're not going anywhere because it serves the rest of your athletic department so well. So get used to the Big East and learn how to compete in it. Oh, boy. Good question. Good question, indeed. That's the voice of uh, Coach Dave Wanstead. He will be here 744 to 820 with Mully and Haw. The Browns are working to hire Tommy Reese as their tight end coach, possibly a passing game coordinator. Reese has been the OC at Notre Dame, Alabama, and he's only 31. Is this a good career move for Reese, or does this take him off a head coaching track he appeared to be on? He had to know. Didn't he, that Nick Saban was close to retirement when he went to Alabama, when he left Notre Dame, when he bypassed a chance to – didn't he have an opportunity to go with Brian Kelly to LSU as well? Mm -hmm. He had to know Saban was on his way out, right? But Kalen DeBoer is not going to keep Tommy Reese. Kalen DeBoer has his own staff. He's going to bring into Tuscaloosa and win. And that's exactly what happened here. Tommy Reese – had to move on. I don't know about this job. I don't know if I'm his agent, if I'm his dad, if I'm his uh, confidant or coaching colleague, if I'm saying, you know what, Tommy, you need to go to the Cleveland Browns and be their tight ends coach, and that's how you're going to become a head coach in the NFL or in college football. I would think that he would have better options, although if he has a title like passing and coordinating, maybe he is patient. He is young still from the coaching profession. He's in his early 30s. It just was a surprising headline to see on, on the internet. I think it was on profootballtalk.com on Monday afternoon. So I wish him well. I like Tommy Reese. I thought he was a good quarterback for Notre Dame. And um, I like the family. So hopefully he goes there and it does lead to a head coaching opportunity. But it does seem like maybe the circuitous route. Why does Alabama not want to retain him? Why? Why is he? Ava- why is he available? They, they hired a new coach, and he brought his offensive coordinator. But I mean, if he's that good, like, wouldn't you want to keep him? Wouldn't you want to keep him around? Well, they they have. He has his own offensive coordinators coming with him. All right. Well, I thought he knew the kids, knows the program. Mm-hmm. Listen, he's he's been very successful. He's had a lot of big jobs. He was the quarterback at, at Notre Dame. Um, he could probably work in the NFL for 20 years. Is he a leader of men? You know, why, why wasn't he considered for the, to be take over for Saban in, in that he's already there? Well, maybe, I mean, you know, again, that, that last play, if you're an Alabama fan, that last play against Michigan will stick in your mind and say, wait a minute, you, we called a timeout. And it's the the season is on the line. The last offensive play under Nick Saban was that called uh, by Tommy Reese. The bad snap play is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Okay. Did did he call for a bad snap? Did he he, he called for a quarterback keeper up the middle? He called for what looked like a quarterback draw that that the bad snap kind of it, ended. And the, the quarterback took off early. Yeah. 
I don't know. Um, I, I would say um, uh, he is a local guy, made good. The Being a tight end coach uh, in the NFL, helping with the passing game, I don't know what his exact title will be. And, and working for Kevin Stefanski, who's a real good that- play caller and a, and a you know, he, he's been a, a play caller since he arrived there for four years and they won with all these different quarterbacks. I think that there's a lot to learn in his current job as uh, whatever he's going to do. Um, like I said, I don't know if it's, if it's, I know tight ends are part of his responsibility and part of it is working in the passing game. So it'll be interesting to see exactly how they define it. But I think, um, I think Tommy Reese Worked? Didn't he work in Cleveland when Bill was there? His dad was there, and I think he did like an internship with Cleveland. So he's connected to it. He, he's been there before. Um, yeah, I think it's a great. You you know, it's the people you work with, right? And and you know, Brian Kelly, pretty successful college yeah. coach. Nick Saban might be the most successful college coach ever. Right. And now working with Stefanski, who could be the coach of the year, by the way. Have we seen that yet? Um, I, I'll be very curious, and I'll follow his career. And um, I love his dad. He was with the Bears for a long time. So I'm hoping for good things for Tommy Reese. And at the age of 31, who knows? I mean, he may get back into college. He may want to have an NFL he, career. He, he could move quickly up the ranks there. He does pick good head coaches to work for. Yeah good thing to do terrific question need to get that answered don't have it for you today that's the voice of bruce levine our guy bruce levine speculated here monday that the white Sox could make an announcement about a new stadium in the south loop very very soon i'm told that if this thing's going to get done that it's going to be get done rather quickly rather quickly could mean two weeks the next month but rather quickly those are the things we know and I don't know, you can pick out anything you like about what you don't like about it, Mike and David, but I, I, don't, I don't see any losing here. That was Bruce with you guys. How realistic do you think we'll uh, find out if there's going to be clarity on this stadium talk before spring training? Any possibility the excitement about the ballpark relocation could ease the pressure of the guys running the baseball team this year? Um. I love this. I love what Bruce had to say. Uh, when we first heard the idea, you know, we told everyone, get your snow shovel, meet us down there. We'll go after the show and start digging. I, I'm all for it. Um, the sooner the better. Let's make it happen. Um, I, I mean, the idea that it could move that quickly, though, that, that did. That was one of the things echoing in my head when I left here. Two weeks or next month, and again, it is the 23rd, uh, so it could be both two weeks and next month. <laughs> well played. I'm all for it. Yeah. Eight days away. <laughs> I mean, the renderings look beautiful, as you guys mentioned, and I just still am befuddled why nothing other than a casino has been talked about to go on this piece of property, the 78 all this time somebody's been sitting on it i guess some real estate guys some heavy duty investors type people it would be great but i, I mean it would the fan base 
the fan base might not put pressure on the team, but I don't know how a new stadium would take pressure off the people running. If anything, I think it might even increase the pressure because especially when you start talking about the, 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 the billion-dollar question, who's paying for this thing? Yeah, I think those are the questions that will need to be answered. But I do wonder about that dynamic because Sox fans need some good news and have been desperate for something to look at to feel positive about because it's been so hard for such a long period of time. Last year just seemed like one kick to the head after another. And it was like, oh, last year this time we're debating Mike Clevenger, I think. Oh, my gosh. Wow. This is a breath of fresh air, potentially. And that's why I wonder. I do. I'm curious about the effect of if they, before spring training next month or next week, either, if they announce plans to say, we're going to build in the South Loop. That puts people in a good frame of mind. And then spring training, eh, well, you know, maybe that arm injury doesn't feel so bad. Maybe trading Dylan Cease doesn't look so bleak. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I don't know. But I do think that it's well long overdue that there's something to feel good about if you're part of the Sox fan base. And I do wonder how much impact that could have on everything else and how it may affect people's view of you know, losing potentially 90 to 95 games. I think they're two very separate things. But when you look at the organization, you need something to cling to as far as to give people hope. A new ballpark in the South Loop would do that if you could find a way to pay for it, certainly. I just wonder for how long would that last. Pick six. The MLB's Mark Feinsand wrote the Cubs remain the favorite for Cody Bellinger, but they are waiting for him to come down from his asking price, quote, north of $200 million, end quote. Is that the point of no return for the Cubs? Would you rather the Cubs invest $200 million to bring Bellinger back or keep the money and reinvest in players who want to be in Chicago? I know that this question has to be asked. I know that this story has to be written. I would love to have a Cody Bellinger free zone for a week because I'm tired of hoping for that. I just want to see the next mention of Cody Bellinger that he will be appearing at a news conference at at the Cubs headquarters at Wrigley Field. Uh, I just we have talked about the price for Cody Bellinger and what they can do and what they can't do. Just come and get it done and arrive and return and play center field or first base just bat third I just the speculation is getting tiresome I understand this story I don't know how much Boris is working behind the scenes to kind of position these guys who he has relationships with but please enough just bring them home land the big fish why would the Cubs pay him 200 million when it appears that nobody else is even really talking to them. I mean, you, you're negotiating. It, it's kind of like, why did they pay Craig Council what they did when nobody else wanted to pay him, including the team that he managed before, which was willing to make him the highest paid manager in all of baseball. Notice, David, I didn't say skipper, um, but I just did for you. So you're negotiating against yourself. You can wait. This is going to be like Dexter Fowler. He's going to he's going to like he's going to like sneak up on the Cubs at spring training, and here he is, Cody Bellinger. But like in the meantime, feel free to go get like Reese Hoskins 
like something like that. Feel free to do something. Yeah, I, I honestly don't believe this has anything to do with the manager, and I don't think it's a very fair comparison because while they did spend a lot of money on the manager, he was set to go someplace. He was choosing, and all of a sudden they were the surprise team that had outbid everyone, and I would imagine it cost a bit of money to get him to come to Chicago because he was in Milwaukee, and we saw – the reaction to that from the fine people of Milwaukee, the defacing of a park, for God's sake. So I, I think you got to pay for that if you're going to get him. This has nothing to do with Bellinger. You're right, though. Why negotiate against yourself? Because, you know, it's like you're in the housing market and you're like, hey, my neighbor is apparently they're getting divorced. They're selling their house. How much do they want for it? Well, their heart's set on this number. You got to. You got to pay uh, half a million dollars or they won't sell it. All right. Well, we'll wait a month and see if they're still selling it. And we'll we'll give them 440. Oh, you're going to upset them. They'll be very upset about it. Well, they're leaving, right? They're moving. Why make a business deal where you're paying someone when, what they want instead of what it's worth? So don't bid against yourself. Get the best deal you can. You know, who cares if Scott Boris has promised $200 million? It, it's like, it's wait, just wait. And then when it comes down to it, you can jump in. They could not have waited for Craig Council. The no, Mets, the Mets would have it. paid him. That's right. The Mets would have paid no, him. No, they wouldn't have. They yes, said, they they would said have. Was a, they, they, there was a limit. They were, they were right where the Brewers were. I don't. I don't think the Cubs overpaid or bid against themselves with Craig Council. I they think jumped it, in before he it, went somewhere else. If they wouldn't have done that, somebody else would have made he him the highest. He didn't want to go anywhere. They some, misplayed that. Some Somebody would have made him the highest paid manager in baseball. They didn't misplay that. They played that like a maestro. They did pretty good jumping in, surprising everyone. And, again, that's not hundreds of millions. That's some millions. And David is now leading the orchestra. Did you watch that movie by chance? I'm dead. What? Uh, what movie? Maestro? Maestro. I'll be curious to hear your take. There's on a lot it. of football, buddy, going on in the world. I, I pretty much. But the games now, you know, those games, they start at 2 and 3 and 5.30. The noon window has been, like, vacated for a couple weeks now. You know, yesterday is the first uh, Monday night without a game on it since last August. It's very strange. I, I mean, I very literally sat there like, well, uh, yeah. Empty the dishwasher now? <laughs> Weird. Weird. Just play a play a Monday night game. Yeah. Get the new league going. Whatever. Just don't <laughs> stop football ever. You and Rock. <laughs> Me and the Rock. All right. We've got the extra point next. It's Mully and Haw on the score. Set up this extra point. It's time for the extra point with Mully and Haw on 670 The Score. After the Bears hire Shane Waldron as the OC, one of the three big jobs in the organization, GM, head coach, play caller, how much confidence do you have in the Bears to make the postseason in 2024? Is your biggest concern in making that prediction this early in the coaching staff's ability or the roster's talent level? I think right now you look at 2024 and it's got to be playoffs as the main goal. I don't want to say playoffs are bust because a lot of things have to happen. You don't know what that means and who would be fired. You don't want to get to the point where you don't make the playoffs. You're firing your head coach. That is conceivable. It's the NFL. 
But I think hiring Shane Waldron makes you think that, all right, this is somebody that is at least proven as a play caller enough to be hired again. He has experience doing the job. And presumably doing the job well, or well enough that a couple teams wanted to hire him, the Bears swooped in and got him first. So in that context, yes, you have to look at this as the Bears are a team ready to compete for a playoff spot. My biggest concern would be the talent level, not the coaching. I think when you look at the coaching, you're talking about overall what impact does your head coach have. I think your head coach with the Bears has an impact on the defense, which is the strongest part of your team. So I think that's a positive overall, despite all the valid criticisms and concerns about Matt Eberflus. If he can get that defense functioning at a high level and be a top-five defense, the Bears have a shot at the playoffs, rookie quarterback or not. And now they have a little bit of predictability in a good way with their play caller. And by predictability, I mean maybe some sort of consistency. I don't know yet. Maybe it will be easy to criticize Shane Waldron. Maybe the first third and one where he goes into the shotgun. Uh, we'll be dry, I'll be screaming about that. But I think that the talent remains the biggest concern. You need an offensive line help. You need an edge rusher. And you need a wide receiver. So I'm more concerned about the talent than the coaching. But I do expect the Bears to compete for a playoff spot in 2024. That's not an unrealistic goal. No, it's not unrealistic. And it's... The Bears roster is a concern. We don't know what the rosters are going to look like for the Bears opponents. Um, Obviously, the QB1 is still up for debate and will continue to be up for debate. But I think one of the things, it's not our fault, the quarterback one is the most important position, but the Bears are still flush with cash. And we really haven't spent a lot of time thinking about, talking about, what they might spend that cash on, David and Molly, to make that roster better. So that's another part of all of this. Yeah, I think that the biggest part of all of it is who's the quarterback, okay? So I want to know who's the quarterback, how's the quarterback going to play, how are they going to do developing a quarterback, whether it's Justin Fields or someone else. Um, and, and that will answer that question. You've got, I, I think we all know, looking at the final four, you got to have a, co- a quarterback to win in the NFL. And boy, there was a statistic I saw yesterday. I wish I had pulled it out. Um, Patrick Mahomes, apparently eight and one when trailing in a playoff game over the, the last, um, whatever, six years. The rest of the league has like a 0.100% when trailing in a playoff game. And he is just – so you get that right, you're going to win Super Bowls, you're going to win playoff games, all that stuff, if you get that right. So this offseason, the goal is to get the quarterback right. And if you do, then, yeah, you could definitely – you'll be a winning team. You could, you know, be in the playoffs. I don't know – if it has to happen next year or if it's not going to happen. But we should see this team improve with all the assets they have, and we should see them improve if this guy can work with the quarterback. And your point about the quarterback makes me feel like the offensive coordinator hire, interesting, important, all the things that we gave, you know, all the attention we paid the last week or so was valid and understandable. But – 
you just don't want a guy to screw up the quarterback. Yeah. And you want a guy that if you draft the quarterback number one overall and Caleb Williams passes all the character tests that they're putting him through until the draft, you get a guy that understands that it's about the player and not necessarily the scheme. And the scheme has got to fit around the player. And if you have the right guy, that marriage is going to be a happy one. It's going to be one that's blissful and it's going to be compatible and all the things because that offensive coordinator is going to recognize and realize you have a special talent. That's it. Simple as that, right? And Just get somebody who can't, not going to screw it up. Right. It's, gonna, I, I know that sounds crazy. It isn't but crazy. But you, you don't have to get the guy to coach uh, Fields or the guy to coach Williams. You get to get the guy that coaches the position and will make either of those guys work. And fits in compatibly with the rest of your coaching staff and maybe your organization and knows enough about his own just about the league, yep. that when you have a special talent, you let that special talent flourish sometimes by not overcoaching it. 312-644-6767. We're going to get to your calls. Mully and Hall on the score. Offense and defensive coordinator positions are very attractive based on the personnel we have and based on the rise of this team. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. That is the voice of Matt Eberflos. And that was at the uh, at the Defending the Losing News Conference at the end of the year. And, uh, yeah, the rise of this team makes the positions ones people wanted. Well, we know they hired Shane Waldron or have not made that official, but are set to. And they also have interviewed Chris uh, Harris. Yep. For the defensive coordinator spot, and the news comes last night. Mike Garofalo reports that Titans assistant head coach and defensive line coach Terrell Williams will interview for the defensive coordinator job. He was the he will be the head coach of the American team in the Senior Bowl, so he's getting some uh, some attention. He's well respected around the league, and he'll get the next uh, look for the Bears at the defensive coordinator role. Love the Senior Bowl. A lot of fun. A lot of. Um... People at that thing you want to talk to, a lot of uh, of uh, information floating around, a lot of people interviewing for jobs. Oh, yeah. The last thing you want to be is a, a guy that has a job open and you watch, you know, you just sit in the stands and you watch different people circle them waiting for their moment to kind of run into them haphazardly. And, oh, by the way, you know, don't forget me. Luke Getze was a head coach down there, wasn't he? I think Luke Getty might have been yeah, I involved. think the Bears were one year. Yeah, yeah. and so what did they I don't, find didn't they find somebody? Oh, uh, Brock Purdy. Not Brock Purdy. Tyson Bajan. Yeah, whatever the Tyson. guy's name is. I, See? I knew what you meant. Yeah, I knew who you meant. Zach Purdy. <laughs> yeah, it was Tyson yeah, Bajan and the love affair between Getty and Bajan. Yes, that uh, began. It sprouted in Alabama. Do you think that uh, Tyson Bajan is worried now that he's kind of lost his guy? Well, I think that you're always going into every season. If you're if you're Tyson Bajan, you don't feel comfortable at all about your spot on an NFL roster. Uh, he probably feels a sense of disappointment with Luke Getzey, yeah, because that was his guy. I don't know that. I, I don't know that he would have felt that secure, though. You're you're an undrafted free agent. Do you ever feel secure on a roster, especially after? the kind of uncertainty that the Bears quarterback depth chart is is bound to have. Bajan 
was two and two as a starter, played in five games, has to feel very good about his rookie season. A year ago at this time, had you told him that, he'd have taken it. Oh, no doubt about it. I mean, getting to play in the NFL, huge for a guy like that. He's probably who, thrilled. Yeah. Okay. That that gets he's gone. Uh, I think he's probably more myopic. He, all he's worried about is what it means for him and what he can do to control his own status on the roster. So he's probably thrilled. Had a good rookie year. Build off that. All right. That's fair. 312-644-6767. Why didn't uh, – well, okay, if, if Ron Rivera is going to interview, he's left the commander's job. And mm -hmm. if he's going to interview with the Eagles – for their defensive coordinator position, why don't you add them to the list here? Well, I think, number one, if I'm Ron Rivera, I don't know that I would want that necessarily. I want to go to a team that's probably going to be in Super Bowl contention. The Eagles will do that. Maybe he, he can help them get there. Number two, if I'm the Bears and Matt Eberflus, I am not hiring. You always say it. Don't hire your replacement or don't hire somebody who would be considered your replacement. So a popular ex-Bear coming to be the defensive coordinator could run into the same problems that forced Lovey to get rid of him when his contract was up after the Super Absolutely. Bowl Absolutely. I'm just asking. Don't you think so? I mean, if, if you're – why would you create a distraction if you're Matt Eberflus? I think you could probably – number one, you're going to be calling defensive signals anyway. Ron Rivera is not going to take a job that is going to require <laughs> I, him – I know to stay silent and to abstain. Yeah. Let's uh let's get to the phone lines. Kevin is in Palatine. Hi Kevin. Long time. Hey, good buddy. morning guys. How you doing? Yeah. Uh I'm good. I'm enjoying the show. Um two points, one Cubs, one Sox. So Cubs, I agree 100% with Dustin. I I don't care if they wait to sign Bellinger till Spring training has already started. Mm -hmm. um, in this world, when you are Cody Bellinger and you are literally one of the worst players in the league for two years and the Cubs fix you, and now you and your smart-ass agent with all his little rhymes and riddles, he's not getting 200. And all the teams that the Cubs are fighting have already signed their players. You wait. You do not do an Alfonso Soriano and Jim Hendry and give this guy $40 million more than anyone else is willing to offer. And if some idiot is willing to give him over $200 million, then good for you. In eight years, no chance. Absolutely no possibility. So, second thing, David, I just want to make sure because I want to give you the benefit of the doubt. So, are you saying like my friends Marty in Highland Park and Ron from the South Side and Stan from Bellwood, when the Sox win 60 games for the next five years, are supposed to be excited because they might have a seat <laughs> facing the river in 2030? David, is that real? Hold on, on, Kevin. I love you. They are no, not no, no. losing. They are not winning 60 games for the next five years. My point was that next year, the good news on the horizon could help them rationalize a 95 loss season, perhaps. I also want to make sure that you have been reading all the national, all these national uh, articles. Nobody, not one team in the league, wants Eloy. And no one has given up four prospects for Dylan Seat. So when, when are they going to get out of this misery? Dave, no one wants your boy Eloy. Still, no still one on the Eloy the thing. Still on the Eloy thing. I'm never going to live that down. Nobody wants Eloy. Help me. Um, I would say, Kevin, from a Sox fan perspective, it would be a lot better if they were building a new stadium 
in the South Loop than going to take a meeting with the mayor of uh, Nashville. Okay? So whatever you want to say about it, it would be if they started building a stadium, it would mean that the Sox will exist in Chicago beyond this ownership. And that represents a possibility of things going the right way. If they're just going to go meet with owners around their potential mayors of cities. To create need. leverage. Yeah. That is ridiculous. Yeah. I don't think I, anyone wants to watch And that. I'm not naive, and I'm not really believing that a new ballpark and the excitement created by that announcement is enough to no. make people forget about the fact their team really stinks. It is a bit of good news that you can cling to as may be a sign of more hope on the way when it comes to White Sox success or White Sox news. It it would be good news for the city, good news for the team, good news for the fans. I don't know what's going to help you win. I don't know what's going to help you. Eventually it could only because it creates a a wider revenue stream and you're going to spend. It's a long-term impact. Right. But I think that's what would give you reason for hope. But I don't think it necessarily yeah. – for five years, that's a long time, Kevin. Yeah. Team might make the playoffs in seven years because <laughs> of the new building. Is that what we're saying? I just like the idea of it. That's all. I just like that he remembers and, that I said something about Eloy Jimenez and yeah, now I, he I, thinks that – I want to have this moment. He's untradeable. Don't rob me of it. 312-644-6767. We're going to stay with your calls. It's Molly and Haw on the score. Yeah. Yeah. No, I you? haven't seen it. No. Oh, that seems like right up your alley. <laughs> I, I, I know my wife wants to see it, so I'm surprised we haven't watched it yet. But 